the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. We'd like to welcome you to our current event and weekly Bible study for April 11th, 2011. And today we're going to be going back to the current event uh, format. Just a lot of things to uh, report on regarding that. Uh, a lot of different issues that are coming up. It barely, I can barely keep up with it all anymore as, as regard to the sheer volume of information. So I just try to kind of hit the high points um, on a weekly basis to try to keep you... And with the email uh, list that we have, it's kind of a combination effort. Uh, first start now, just a few... About four verses on just prayer. I like to kind of get everything kicked off every week, or try to, uh, with Bible verses and or interspersing them within the study themselves to try to keep us focused on the Word of God. And uh, just about four verses just on prayer. Uh, James 5.16 says, Confess your faults one to another, and pray for one another, that ye may be healed. So it doesn't go, it does not say like with the Catholic system where they, you go to a confessional and you confess your sins to a, a priest. That's totally unbiblical. There's no Bible for that whatsoever. And um, it's just one more heresy, you know, the Catholic death cult. Uh, confess your faults one to another. Okay, and pray for one another. So in other words, to, to confess your fault to one another, uh, would be something you would do, not only, I think, from a humility standpoint, but from also your Christian brother or sister knowing how to pray for you in a particular manner. Uh, and then it says that you may be healed. So it actually implies that if you confess your faults to one another and pray for one another, um, healing can occur uh, with that dynamic. And then it goes on to say, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I personally think the best type, well, probably the most powerful way is to combine prayer with fasting. But as far as prayer goes itself, uh, I, I don't think that you can beat getting on your knees before God. I think that that's, you're, you're showing humility. And um, uh, I just have seen in my life that those types of prayers seem to be more effectual and more fervent. Uh, so the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Jeremiah 32, 26-27 says, Then came the word of the Lord unto Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? So this would be imply having faith behind your prayers. For without faith it is impossible to please God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Well, obviously no. So that's a really uplifting Bible verse there. Uh, Psalm 66 verse 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And this is why it's important to go to the Lord in prayer and to um, confess your sins to the Lord, to just, you know, praying. Uh, you know, you want to be doing that all the time, but particularly in prayer, uh, you know, you want to you do that every time, I believe, you pray because the Bible says the thought of foolishness is sin. So something that you may not even perceive as sin uh, in God's eyes may be sin. 
So we don't want to really use our own standards. We want to use biblical standards to judge what sin is and what it is, and, and, and we want to, um, you know, do that um, on a daily and, and usually more frequently, you know, several times per day is, is actually the best way to most likely do it, just to keep, uh, that there be nothing separating um, us and the Lord. And then we also want to ask, we also want to forgive those who have sinned against us, you know, so that we may obtain mercy as well, because if we do not forgive those who have sinned against us, we, we cannot obtain mercy ourselves. So these are just things that, just kind of general prayer tenant guidelines to think about. Psalm 19, 12 through 14 says, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Now, presumptuous sins would be sins that we would presume are not sins, like I just talked about. So, the psalmist says, Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Again, most likely under the same classification as presumptuous sins. Secret faults that you may not even be aware of. Uh, let them not have dominion over me. Uh, sin left unchecked tends to end up having dominion or rule over a person. Uh, then shall I be upright and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. And this is why I think I really like this portion of scripture because you're asking um, God to do this for you. You're asking him to cleanse you from secret faults and presumptuous sins because he might be the only one that knows. I mean, not to say if like angels were around you, they couldn't pick up on that, but I'm saying the Lord himself, they, there might not be other people around you that are even aware of things like this, or maybe they are, maybe they don't want to say anything, this type of thing. Um, but if they're, if they're left unchecked, they can start to have dominion over you. Sin tends to do that in any way, shape, or form, if, if left unchecked, if left unconfessed. If left unrepented of, then tends to start to have dominion over you. Uh, then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And that's, a, again, you're asking the Lord to do that, because I really believe that only the Lord Jesus Christ can be the one that can do these things. It's not like you're going to all of a sudden wake up one day and be Mr. Super Christian in and of yourself, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that lives inside you as a born-again believer. Uh, and then I posted the links to three teachings I've done, kind of on the subject of prayer. One of them is on the concept of overcoming uh, as a Christian. The Bible talks a lot, a lot about overcoming, in the, particularly in the New Testament. So it's entitled, Overcoming Protection, Meekness, Answered Prayer, Faith, Fear the Lord. And then in Precatory Prayers and um, Hope, and that's a, if you haven't heard that one, you might want to avail yourself to that. That's we go into Psalm 64 there in the concept of imprecatory prayers. Not a subject that you'll hardly ever hear preached on or talked about in today's day and age. And um, then the keys to answered prayer. And there's three different links here. They will be at the, the near the, probably about page two of the uh, PDF associated with the April 11, 2011 teaching on contendingfortruth.com. And then if you go to that website and you go on the right-hand side, there's other websites that um, uh, put up my teachings as well. Uh, a Christian sister from China emailed me recently, and she said that China's blocked out my website. But some of these, at least one of the other alternate sites, actually has my teachings up on... And it's not like, you know, 
I'm saying of anything special. I'm just saying that they did block our site, but they blocked you know thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of sites. China has, uh, but in her case though, there was an alternate site where she could go to and um, get the teaching. So that was neat. Okay, let's get into the teaching for today. Uh, first article is entitled "The CIA Has Agents on the Ground in Libya," and kind of try to look at the big picture here. I'm not just going to try to key in on Libya, but kind of the big picture of what's going on over there in um, in the Middle East. And this is from an article from the Washington Post of March 30th. CIA operatives on the ground in Libya. CIA has sent small teams of operatives into Libya after the agency's station in the capital was forced to close. The agency's precise role in Libya is unclear. Imagine that. Intelligent experts say the CIA would have sent officials to make contact with the opposition and assess the strength and needs of rebel forces battling Libyan leader Muammar Gaddafi. Gaddafi. In the event, President Barack Obama decided to arm them. Given the reality that this Libyan war is part of the creation of the Club of Rome reorganization plan of the late 1960s, where they created basically ten regions, which totally lines up with the book of Daniel, where it talks about ten kings, you know, in the in the the last kingdom having ten kings, ten regions. Well, totally lines up with that. So this was a creation of the Club of Rome in the late sixties and the strategy being employed is the it's called the Pentagon's new map. Um, you can discount the gist of the article above in the Washington Post. The only information we need to pay attention to is the line that says the CIA has sent small teams of operatives into Libya. Um, And then it goes on to say the precise role is unclear. From the beginning of the popular protests in Morocco and Tunisia, Cutting Edge has been saying that this massive effort is coordinated by the global elite, and this is from uh, CuttingEdge.org, have some very good information, um, Cutting Edge has been saying that the massive effort is coordinated by the global elite for the express purpose of creating regional government number seven of the Club of Rome plan. Now, there's ten regions. This one just so happens to be regional um, government number seven. Okay, so this is the way they wanted to divvy things up. Therefore, it only makes sense that the American CIA would be heavily involved in this operation. During my years at the U.S. Army Intelligence, now this is, I believe, David Bay talking, I learned the, that the iceberg principle, the quote iceberg principle, most often applies to situations like this. When you see uh, the tip of an iceberg sticking up in the, above the waterline, you know there's a huge mountain right below the surface. The establishment news agency has provided the tip of the iceberg by telling us the CIA has agents on the ground in Libya, and that they are involved in the operation of this war. The reality is, is that the popular protest movements all throughout this region have been created and are now being guided by the CIA. In fact, the CIA has likely been operating within Libya for a long time. And this is an article from InfoWars. Secret illegal war of aggression has been raging in Libya for weeks. The corporate mainstream media has caught up to the reality of the situation in Libya that we've been reporting on for weeks. Before there were any no-fly zones, NATO involvement, or UN resolutions, the U.S. and British intelligence and special forces were on the ground inside of Libya. So before any of this stuff happened, U.S., British intelligence, and special forces were already in Libya, coordinating the uprising against Gaddafi and waging a covert war. 
Last night's revelation that Obama signed a secret presidential finding weeks ago authorizing the CIA to supply weapons and assistance to Libyan rebels is just the tip of the iceberg. A full month ago, the U.S. Special Forces had already arrived in Libya to train the anti-Gaddafi rebels in preparation for a Western-backed coup d'etat. British and French defense advisors also arrived at the same time to set up training bases in the rebel-controlled eastern region of the country. So in other words, they were, they were gearing up for this a long time ago. You know, and they, they act like all this stuff just happened. And it's funny, it's just going from one country to the next, to the next, to the next in the Middle East. I mean, it just looks so contrived. It is contrived. It's something that's being created and done and was planned well ahead of time. I mean, never that I've ever seen in the history of the Middle East, you have one, I mean, it's almost like, okay, we'll have one country go, we'll get our agenda going there, we'll remove their dictator, and we'll put in whoever they're going to end up putting in, and we'll talk about that later. Um, And then, now we can focus on the next country, on the next domino to fall. Just a bunch of dominoes over there, and it's just one after another, and they're doing it, and, and again, it's all by design, they're doing it on purpose, in order to bring in this seventh region that was planned by the Club of Rome, and also I believe, and we're going to talk about this in depth too, to have a more radical uh, united front against Israel and the war against Israel. And also these puppet regimes that are going to be put into place in these countries are going to be much easier controlled by the global elite, whereas when you have somebody that's been in there like Gaddafi, who's been in there for decades, those kind of guys sometimes are harder to control because they've been there, done it, they're a little more savvy, they're they're used to, you know, not taking orders a lot of times. Maybe, yes, I'm not saying they wouldn't take orders from their Illuminati handlers, but, you know... They're probably just not uh, as easy to manipulate as somebody that they just put in there, you know, fresh off some some victory. So, going further, let's see here. Uh, but these British and French defense advisors also arrived at the same time in Libya to set up training bases in the rebel-controlled eastern region of the country. This author blames Western aggression in Libya to to agreed for oil. Okay, the author of this one article. However, this belief constitutes simplistic conservative conventional wisdom, which is wrong as often as simplistic liberal conventional wisdom. The reality is much more believable and exciting. Libya lies in the midst of a geographical area known as the Club of Rome plan, as North Africa and the Middle East, nation number seven. The aggression against Libya is designed to destabilize the entire government, sweeping it of resistant strongman dictators, okay, Muammar Gaddafi, so regional government number seven can be finally established, and of course, when the Club of Rome plan is fully implemented, it shall f- fulfill Daniel uh, Daniel 7, um, and we'll just read some verses from Daniel 7, regarding this, the fourth kingdom. And <clears throat> this vision... Uh, starting in Daniel 7, 7. And after this I saw in the night visions of behold a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and exceedingly strong, and it had great iron teeth. Now this fourth beast is going to be the kingdom of essentially the Antichrist, the, the, the final kingdom that we're moving 
forward into right now. Hasn't quite been established fully yet, obviously, but this is the one that we're moving into, the fourth beast, okay? It, um, it devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it. Uh, it was diverse from all beasts that were before it, of the other three beasts that came before it. And it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them a little horn. Uh, and again, the ten horns being the ten regions of the world, with ten kings. Okay. And then, I considered the horns, and beheld there came up among them another little horn, before whom there was there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. What this is symbolic of is the Antichrist coming to power. He is the little horn that we're in reference to. We can prove that uh, by other scriptures as well. But when he arises fully, three of those kings of, of, of the ten horns, three of those horns are going to be plucked up and removed in order for him to arise. So, uh, and behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. Uh, and that doesn't mean great like wonderful. It means great, boastful, blasphemous things against the Most High. Then, if we skip forward, because I don't want to get into a full Bible study on Daniel 7, we just don't have time. But if we skip forward to verse uh, 23 and we get the interpretation, full interpretation, Daniel 7, 23 and 24 says, Thus he said, this was the, this was the interpretation given to Daniel. Okay, Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth, again, this is the kingdom we're fastly moving into, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. And the ten horns out of the kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, again, confirming what I just said, and another shall rise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall do, subdue three kings. That's the Antichrist. Now, we could expound and expand on that much, but I just wanted to kind of give you this club of Rome ten region thing, it fully lines up with the word of God and what, what is predicted for the day and time we're moving into. So, back to the article. Therefore, we can only wait to see exactly how this plays out and according to what timetable. Remember, all the leaders on both sides are simply following a script. This, uh, and this is a quote from Peter Lemeshur of the Armageddon script, page 252. You've probably heard me say this before. Cutting Edge likes to quote this a lot. And it is, a, it is a very excellent quote. This is regarding the plans that the Illuminati has laid down. Okay, Now the Lord Jesus Christ is still on the throne. He's letting this stuff happen. He, it's predicted in the Bible it's going to happen. In, in Daniel and Revelation and various other places. Uh, so let not your heart be troubled regarding that. But this was how, is how they view things. This is how the Illuminati views things. The script is now written, meaning the stuff that goes on in modern day politics and in modern day wars and things like that is literally, it's, it's following a script. Okay, So the script is now written, the stage is, itself is almost ready, down in the pit, the subterranean orchestra is tuning up, the main actors have already taken up their roles, soon it will be time for them to come on stage, ready for the curtain to rise, the time of action will have come. Okay, so... Uh, everyone, both Obama and Gaddafi, are simply following their prepared script. Okay, now let's go a little bit further into this. I got some interesting confirmation on these types of points this week. And uh, two or three people sent me this video. Um, what was predicted three years ago is now here. A listener writes to me, As soon as I saw the trouble in Egypt and Libya, I was very suspicious. It seemed to be engineered. 
then I came across this video and things took focus. Have a quick look at it. It's short. I think it appears that Obama is setting up his own puppet show in those places. And behind this is an attempt to draw the enemies of Israel together. Well, yes, Obama's a part of it. But again, he is more of a, he's more of a figurehead. He's actually taking orders from, from his handlers. Um, but this is an attempt to draw the enemies of Israel together. Could this be a precursor to the prophecy of Gog and Magog? So she brings up some good points there. Um, I'm going to go ahead and play this video here, and you can listen to it. And I'm not endorsing, like, I think it's Prophecy in the News or Avi Lipkin or whatever they're talking about here, okay? Honestly, haven't really researched the two, but I, what he's saying, I can tell you, confirms many studies that I've done on the subject, and much of my research, and a lot of the research that we've done on Obama being a Muslim, and uh, on Muslims themselves. So, again, we're gleaning here, and um, uh, I'm going to go ahead and start this video here. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and roll the video now. It's only about four minutes, a little over four minutes long. Avi Lipkin is the co-founder of Israel Today magazine. He is an author, a journalist, a political commentator. He has appeared on many television and radio broadcasts around the world, as well as speaking in thousands of churches and synagogues all over the United States, Canada, and Europe. Avi speaks mainly about Islam and its global threat. Avi served in the Israeli Defense Forces as an officer and government spokesperson. His wife, Rachel, works for the Israeli intelligence services, monitoring Arabic transmissions coming out of the Middle East. What you will hear in the following brief excerpts are shocking. They are of an interview that Avi did with Gary Stearman of Prophecy in the News in the early part of 2010. You will be astounded to hear what Avi said then was coming out of the Middle East in the late part of 2007 concerning who would be the next President of the United States. You will further be shocked to hear what was being said in the Muslim world in early 2010 concerning Obama's agenda for the Middle East and Israel. Remember, this interview was in early 2010, before Egypt and Libya and the current upheaval in the Middle East. And you, you just said some. You used the, the phrase a Muslim president. And right. There are a lot of our viewers out there who have probably uh, uh, jumped up straight up on their chairs and said, what did he say? Yes. And, yeah. and, and why do you say that? And I will give you the reason. Um, my wife, Rachel, is Jewish and I'm Jewish. But I'm from America. She's from Egypt. I think like a Christian. She thinks, thinks like a Muslim. My wife is an intelligence gatherer for the Israeli government and call Israel radio services. Mm -hmm. And she was picking up broadcasts for years before the 2008 elections. And the Saudis were saying, and my wife didn't understand it until later, we will have a Muslim in the White House in 2008. Mm. And the fact is nobody knew who Obama was before 2008. That's true. And he became a senator, I believe, in 2006. He barely served a very short time as senator. And all of a sudden, he becomes the president of the United States. But the fact is, on January 19th... So, th that's pretty unprecedented there alone. I mean, he he serves a short term as a senator, and then all of a sudden, the guy's president. And then all this controversy over, obviously, his birthplace, his birth certificate, the fact that he was literally raised a Muslim. 
I mean, Muslim Muslim religion is a cult, and it's not just something you know you get out of. The fact that he's bowed to Saudi princes, the fact that he talked about openly on nightly news about his Muslim faith, the fact that he's addressed when he goes to Muslim countries and speaks, he essentially speaks to them as a Muslim um, to Muslims. It's just not anything you're going to see on the nightly news because it wouldn't be you know popular. He's anything but a but a Christian. I've had a lot of people argue and say, oh, we shouldn't condemn a brother in Christ. Well, the Bible says, by their fruit you shall know them. And, I mean, if they don't have the discernment, I mean, how, how could you be, how, how could a, number one, a Christian, have the most, he, as a senator, had the most uh, aggressive voting record regarding, you know, uh, abortion it's regarding supporting it and Planned Parenthood that they they had ever seen. I mean, you know the fact, you know, just so many so many different aspects of this guy are unbelievable. But um, anyway, I just wanted to kind of throw that in. We'll go ahead and let him talk some more here. I've picked up a broadcast from Nile TV from Egypt. She watches their TV shows, and it was called the Roundtable Discussion. And the foreign minister, like Secretary of State, foreign minister of Egypt, Abul Ghait, was said very calmly that he had had a one-on-one meeting with President Obama. And President Obama swore to him that he's a Muslim, that he's a son of a Muslim, stepson of another Muslim, that his half-brothers in Kenya are Muslims from a Muslim tribe in Kenya, uh, that he went to the mosque, that he went to the madrasa until age 11. And he said, you know, I've got a problem with some domestic issues, meaning health care. As soon as I finish the health care question, you Muslims will see what I will do for Islam regarding Israel. This was on Egyptian TV. Wow. Two months later, there was an article in the Okaz of the Emirates newspaper in which the uh, envoy of President Obama to the Arab League, his name is Rashad Hassan, said, as a Muslim, I'm quoting now, as a Muslim, President Obama understands the significance of Jerusalem for the Islamic world as the first direction of the Qibla, the first direction of the Prostation. Could it... Okay, so he makes a reference there to Jerusalem. So, Obama had promised them, after he got through with this issue of health care, which, I'm not saying that issues, but, you know, the the Republicans that, that were, you know, put in there and, and stuff, they're doing nothing. They, they, they've had chances already, this freshman group of in the house they've had chances to you know try to start repealing obamacare and it's not happening and it's most likely not going to happen or there'll be concessions and things like this but that issue for the most part okay i'm not saying it's behind but it's it's most likely going to go forward so then he said wait and see what i do for for my fellow muslims once that issue is settled and then the other guy brought up the issue of israel well all of this, these regime changes that are taking place in the Middle East right now, most likely, and we're right in the middle of this, okay, whether, like, we have the CIA people with Libya, all of this is happening like dominoes falling. They're going to get their own little um, puppet, most likely very radical Muslim regimes in there, regimes that have no problem um, going after Israel. They're going to be like many Ahmadinejads in Iran. They're going to be re- uh, regimes that um, are bent on the destruction of Israel, and that is what the Quran, their unholy book, tells them to do. 
they're, the Jews are the ones they're supposed to go after first and most vigorously. Oh, Yasser Arafat said it. He said, you know, the only solution is going to be total annihilation of the Jews and, and that we're going to drive them right into the sea. It doesn't matter how much land you give them for peace. It doesn't matter how much many concessions or how many peace talks. They'll go there and they'll placate the Israel all day long. They'll tell them what they want to hear as long as they can get some more land so that they can, they can move their rockets and their things up a little bit closer. And we're going to go into that in a second as well. That's what their agenda is, total annihilation of Israel. And then after that, it's going to be all infidels, which are non-believers in the Quran. Which, you know, and, and that's what an infidel is defined at and, in the Quran. And you've heard me in times past give all the verses from the Quran, straight from the Quran, that says you're supposed to kill and slay the infidel if you're a good Muslim. You're supposed to do it for Allah. And so we're all fair game. Anyone who is not a believer in Islam, and I really believe they're going to use Islam uh, right now more than ever to foment World War III. And Ahmadinejad is obviously on board. He he wants to do it. He believes that that he's going to play a prophetic role in the end, in the Islamic version of the end times. He believes that um, what the supposed unholy writings of Islam say is that the Imam Mahdi or the twelfth Imam, which is their awaited savior, okay, uh, which Maitreya claims to be, it, it would be like the um, Maitreya claims to be the uh, the Christ to the Christians, the Messiah to the Jews, Imam Mahdi to the Muslims, um, Krishna to the Hindus, and the fifth Buddha to the Buddhists. And then one other one, I think, too. So, Iran and Ahmadinejad truly believe, by their own writings from times past, that the Imam Mahdi, their awaited savior, is only going to come through a huge amount of bloodshed. And that means both sides. I mean, they're 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 thinking, well, hey, if we die, we're going to go, you know, be with you know seventy two virgins or whatever, and you know, live in paradise forever. And uh, you know, they're they're deluded, and they're all just plunging into hell. Um, but that's what they believe. So to them, whether they live or whether they die, as long as they're doing their part to bring about Imam Mahdi, that's the important part. I really believe a lot of these radical elements that they're installing in these countries right now, like, you know, Libya and Egypt and these types of places, I really believe they're going to be much more in unity and on board with Ahmadinejad, with with that mentality, that more radical, you know, mentality that not all the Middle Eastern countries have. Not all the dictators are like Ahmadinejad. Okay, so I, I think that this is what we're, we're talking about here. And this video confirms the last thing that we just talked about. Now I'm going to go ahead and let him talk further here. Be that what Avi and Rachel Lipkin were hearing in 2006, 2007, and 2010, could it be that we are now living that? Could it be that we have a Muslim president in the White House, as the Muslims in the Middle East have declared, who is now delivering to the Muslim world the gift that he promised? Could this be the beginning of an assault on Israel that we are now witnessing on our daily news? These certainly are biblical and perhaps prophetic. Okay, and then they're showing a, a recent headline from the Jerusalem Post, which is entitled, Muslim Brotherhood says to prepare Egyptians for war with Israel. 
the Muslim Brotherhood is is it seems to be the radical the most radical elements of that are what is being installed um, in these puppet governments that are being set up now. So evidently this is something they've been waiting to do and something happened where they said, okay, the dominoes need to start falling. We want to get this World War III on the road. Now we need to start doing this. And we need to do it not all at once, but as dominoes falling in succession. Because, I mean, to try to pull something like that all at once, it would would throw the Middle East into such chaos and turmoil that they probably couldn't accomplish their plans. They want to kind of take it one step at a time. They tend to be like that. So, the Illuminati I'm in reference to here. Times in which we live. Okay, so that's that video, and um, pretty amazing confirmation. I mean, I, I've, I've went over, I've done whole studies on Obama, particularly when he first got into office, and um, we proved, I believe, without doubt, that he's, he's a Muslim, okay? He's anything but a Christian, uh, his true allegiance is to Islam. Uh, he's also, you know, you could say he's a lot of other things, socialist, communist, fascist. I mean, there's a lot of other things that he is as well. Um, but he's anything but a Christian, that's for sure. And so, this is just more evidence, more proof of that. And it's funny that it seems like there were certain factions, they were talking about Saudi Arabia, that's, you know, they knew ahead of time they were going to have a, a Muslim president in the White House. And now, you look at all the special privileges and all of the suppression of news in America regarding Islam, regarding any painting in any kind of negative manner. And, you know, there's so many things that you can report on that I've reported on, on, on the hypocrisy, on the sheer evil of Islam. And how, you know, they've got these sleeper cells here, and, and most likely with all types of biological agents. And they've been here for a long time, just waiting for um, their handlers, or their, you know, imams or whatever, to tell them, okay, it's time. It's time to kill and slay the infidels. And whether it comes from dirty bombs, whether it comes from biological weapons, uh, the Muslims have been here a long time, in sleeper cells, and they've been planning this a long time. And, um... Uh, they've been protected. We've done, I, you know, again, they've been allowed just to totally come over the southern, the, the uh, border from Mexico to the United States. I mean, that's one of the main, you know, I've went over that in detail. Mainstream news outlets have went over that in detail. You know, they're finding Qurans and, and all kind of radical Muslim literature and these border crossings and things of this nature. A lot of the people that end up getting caught are... Um, uh, Muslims with, you know, records a mile long, terrorist records a mile long. I mean, these are some really bad, evil people. And most of the time, they do not get caught. They just get in, they get into the United States. Only a small percentage of them are being caught. You can talk about the illegal aliens from Mexico and Central America all you want, but that's this is a whole other issue. Uh, but again, this is pretty much suppressed in the news for the most part. So then this next article further confirms what we're talking about here. And uh, this is from a listener named Julie. And um, uh, she goes on to say, uh, Dear prayer partners, uh, this is more of a prayer request, but we're going to actually look at the subject of this. We have received word from Israel that a war uh, with Hamas, um, like the radical, one of the radical parts of Islam, radical factions of Islam, uh, that a war with Hamas in the Gaza Strip and possibly Hezbollah in Lebanon is very likely after Israeli 
Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said Thursday during a visit to the Prague. He said, quote, attacks on Israel's children cross a red line. Those who carry out such attacks should know that their blood is on their own heads. And we're going to talk about what this attack was. The Prime Minister was commenting on the continuing barrage of rockets being fired from the Gaza Strip at communities in southern Israel. I've done many studies. Israel occupies one-tenth of one percent of the lands called the Middle East. One-tenth of one percent. And yet, they're demonized by the media. Uh, I thought what was kind of interesting as well, almost everyone that would work for the UN, the Bilderbergs, Maitreya himself on his UN-sponsored website, Benjamin Krem, his false prophet mouthpiece, his, John, his false John the Baptist mouthpiece of Maitreya, always... Always, always, always are never in condemnation of the Muslims. Ever. All the poor Muslims, look at what those terrible Jews... Now, I'm not saying the Zionist factions of Israel and the Jews are good. And I realize a lot of them are at the very, very highest echelons of the Illuminati. I understand that. Rockefellers, Rothschilds. But they are what Jesus Christ referred to in the Bible as they call themselves Jews, but they're not. They are of the synagogue of Satan. Okay, I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater, I mean the Jews out. The Bible talks a lot about Israel and Jews and specific tribes of the Jews, like for instance the 144,000. You go to Revelation 7, I believe 14. 144,000 Jewish male virgins that have never been with a woman. Gives them by tribe. You can spiritualize that all day long. And you know a lot of other people in some white races, the British Israeli, and then some black races, they try to say, oh, no, no, that, that's us. We're the tribe of this and all this other stuff. I mean, it's insane. But a, a lot of people try to spiritualize that away. God is not done with the Jews. He's not done with Israel. And um, the fact that he brought them back to the land of Israel and the miraculous way that they, they were brought back is a miracle in and of itself. So, what has happened is the Jews, over the years, since they got back, they've continually given up more and more and more and more of their lands to placate these devil Muslims. Okay, now it's not means that I want them to all go to hell. I'm talking about the people, the radical elements, the ones that are at literally totally bent on the destruction of Israel. Yes, if it be possible, I pray their souls be saved. But most likely, that's not going to happen. I mean, these are vowed enemies. They are operate 100% in evil and hate. And I've done many studies on this, documenting this. Okay, not saying the Jews are perfect either, but I just want to kind of present this from a biblically balanced standpoint. It doesn't mean that I do what John Hagee does either, and basically says, well, the Jews don't need to really get saved. They, they, they're saved through the blood that runs through their veins. It's called ethnic salvation, a doctrine, which you know he has preached in times past. We don't need to evangelize them. We don't need to do any of that. They're, they're already saved because they're Jews. No, I don't go there either. And I don't just automatically rubber stamp anything that they say or do just because... They're Jews. So I'm trying to be balanced here. Okay? And I think that's the big challenge for us in the days and times we live in from a biblical standpoint because it's really easy to get on one bandwagon and then totally 
be blinded to some other huge aspect that's there. So, um, the the statement that uh, he made, the Prime Minister was commenting on the continuing barrage of rockets being fired from the Gaza strips of communities in southern Israel. Uh, she goes on to say, please bring the nation of Israel before the Lord in prayer during this critical time, as well as Peter Tishkahara's intended ministry trip to Perth on May 6th through 7th. Um, so, I... I looked into this a little bit more, into what the statement was he made, because I wouldn't have verification from like a news source. So I found the actual one of the actual uh, news sources, and it was uh, IsraeliFrontline.com, and I give you a link. I try to give you a link to most everything that we're talking about here, whenever it's possible, so that you can have that and you can explore it further. So it's entitled Savage. Savage missile blitz from Gaza sends a million Israelis into shelters. Now, remember, Israel occupies one-tenth of one percent of the lands in the Middle East. And they've given a ton of what they have... Excuse me. <clears throat> they've given a ton of what they have away. And it's never enough. The only thing that that does is, that, is it allows the um, the Muslims to get their rockets a little bit closer and a little bit closer and a little bit closer to residential areas and these types of things so they can fire. They fired um, on one reporting that was over 12,000 missiles into Israel since the land for peace garbage started. I mean, it was only like a five or six year period. I don't even know what it is now. I mean, can you imagine having thousands and thousands and thousands. Do you think that America would permit that if there was Mexicans on the on the southern border firing rockets into America? Thou- I mean, granted, I know we're letting them all come in here. I guess they don't need to fire anything, you know. Just let them come in. But can you imagine living that way? Before, I'm going to this article. Before dawn Saturday, April 9th, Hamas inflicted its heaviest missile blitz yet on southern Israel. Acting now on guidelines from Les- Lebanese Hezbollah, more than a dozen heavy grade, heavy grad missiles are aimed at seven Israeli cities, injuring ten civilians. Thank God they're not very accurate most of the time. You know, uh, one exploded in the sand dunes of Palahim, aimed at Israeli's nuclear research reactor at Nahal Sorek. So they're trying to aim it at a nuclear research reactor. I mean, are they that stupid? They're insane. I mean, if you hit that, you're going to kill everybody in the region. I mean, their their stupidity, their hypocrisy, their evil. It just it never ceases to amaze me. And the, the, they lie, just how they lie over and over. I mean, it's just unbelievable. But going further, it says more than 60 Hamas and Jihad Islami mortar shells and missiles hit Israeli towns, villages, and farms on the Israeli side of the Gaza border. Now, I guarantee you, if Israel had launched, let's say for your argument's sake, 15,000 rockets at Muslim settlements over the last whatever many, six, seven, eight years, or whatever, I mean... They're demonized as it is. But if they did that, I mean, I can't even imagine the kind of condemnation from all corners of the world that would come against Israel. 
for defending themselves, essentially. It's okay for them to have this, and, and Nightly News won't even report on it, or they may, may, may say a little something about it. But whenever is, Israel strikes back, they're demonized. They're the bad guys. They're terrible. They're horrific. They're, they're, you know, they're accused of everything on the planet. Going further, uh, let's see here. So, that one, more than 60 Hamas, and it is Jihad Islami, Islami, yeah, Islamic mortar shells and missiles hit Israeli towns, villages, and farms. I mean, they're just trying to kill anybody and anybody. Towns and, and farms and. On the Israeli side of the Gaza border, that was where it happened. Friday, April 8th, an injured, and that injured a civilian. The heightened Israeli, well, what happens is, is these mortars and these rockets start coming in, and they've all got bunkers that they go into. And so, you know, they've, they've got to live that way constantly. Um, the heightened Israeli fury over Hamas attacks on a school bus Thursday, and this is what um, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is in reference to, I believe, uh, the, the Hamas attacked a school bus Thursday. See, any anybody's fair game. They, they'd kill, they'd kill babies. They kill school children. It don't matter. They're considered less than human anyway. They're considered infidels and less than human. They're not. They're not to be permitted to live. They would want to wipe out the seed of the Jews, just like the the Jews themselves. So this doesn't surprise me a bit. Using this, uh, they. They attacked a school bus using a sophisticated Cornet anti-tank missile for the first time. A 16-year-old boy was critically wounded. The attack was followed. Now, what I heard about the school bus attack is that it must have hit the bus. Thank God, again, it doesn't seem like they're very good aim. They don't have a very good aim most of the time. And um, I'm praying that that's just the Lord's intervention there. You know, that they're, the Lord's just intervening. Because for as many rockets as they have fired, that these idiots... These devils have fired. It seems as though there's been very, 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 very minimal casualties. Now, I'm sure that it's not because the the Muslims were trying to miss. You know, they, if, if I'm sure if they had their way, every rock would kill a hundred Jews or more. But praise the Lord Jesus Christ, that has not been the case. Because um, rarely do you see a lot of uh, casualties on them. Sometimes you will. Sometimes you know. But uh, in this uh, school bus attack, a 16-year-old boy was critically wounded. The attack was followed by 50 Palestinian rockets and mortar rounds. A blitz, a blitz which had not abated by Friday night despite constant Israeli counteraction. I mean, they're doing this stuff constantly. And... What's amazing to me is that Israel has still continued to have peace talks and offer to give up more land. And, and, and I understand, it is a script. And, they, and the people that are in control, I believe, at the top, you know, they're following the script here. But it's just pretty amazing. I mean, I, I don't know of any other country on the planet that would put up with all this. A less obvious motive behind the mounting violence is Hamas is trying to establish new rules for the conflict on advice and directives coming from its Lebanese ally, Hezbollah, to step up its barrage on Israel by 25%. The IDF is then forced to respond to the resulting escalation in kind. See, they're backing them into a corner. 
That's the whole... This is the reason that they've been firing rockets, thousands of rockets at them and, and trying to get more land to get closer all along. They want Israel to, because they believe that they're waging holy jihad and that they believe through Allah they're going to be victorious. They're going to be snuffed out and crushed eventually. May not be tomorrow, but they will be snuffed out and crushed eventually. But they're doing all of this on purpose. They're just trying to provoke them. I mean, how much more could you provoke somebody than now Now you're going after, you know, farms and, and, and school buses and, and, you know, residential areas and these types of things. Do you think that Israel, if these people weren't firing rockets at them all the time, do you think Israel would be bombing the Middle East? They would have no reason to bomb it. But see... Islam has a religious mandate to do this. They're commanded to do it. To please their moon god, fallen angel, Allah. Going back to the article, our intelligent sources report that Hamas was advised by Hezbollah to blitz Israel into relinquishing the 500 meter deep security strip the IDF established inside of the Gaza border. So they're they're doing this so that they'll I guess Israel will pull back this 500 meter deep uh, security strip. Okay, Hezbollah leaders are telling Hamas they should be able to bring their forward in firing positions right up to the Israeli border if they're if if they can get them to um, submit uh, uh, um, give up this 500 meter 500 meter security strip. So why? So they can get their rockets closer. This is a convenience enjoyed by Hezbollah on the Lebanese-Israeli frontier ever since 2000 when Israel quit the southern Lebanon. I don't know of any country on the planet that has put up with more garbage than, than Israel. I don't. I'm sorry. I don't. Not, not like this. Dogged. Just dogged from pillar to post. And, you know... But we can't we can't say anything against Islam because it's a religion of peace. It's a it's a religion of love too, a love and peace and harmony and goodwill toward your fellow man. You know, you got to admit. I mean, come on, what's not the like? Where do I sign up? I mean, who would who would want to who want to be a part of this garbage? I know that they recruit a lot, and I don't mean to be, I'm not being racist, they recruit a lot of black men in prison. And the ironic thing about that, to me, like this Louis Farrakhan garbage, the ironic thing about that to me is that in the Quran, and in a lot of the Islamic, and I've, I've read you the quotes before, in times past. Now, if you want to find where I've talked about Israel, you can, you can do keyword search on contendingfortruth.com. Some of these other sites, you can also search them. But if you if you just go up and key in Muslim or Islam in the search box on contendingfortruth.com, you'll see the most recent studies where I've got Islam or Muslim in some of the titles. So if you want to know more about this subject, if this is the first time you're hearing it, and you think I'm blowing things out of proportion, then please avail yourself to that information, because this is just a tiny portion of what I've covered in times past. Um... I just find it ironic that, that 
the Quran and, and some of their other unholy writings refer to the black races as like subhuman and that much along the similar lines as Jews. It, it is a uh, very much something they would want to ethnically cleanse eventually. They would want it, they would want to kill. And now they'll use you know, they'll use the black races if they can to do their bidding. But I think when it all got said and done, if Israel was allowed to to seek its full satanic purpose, the blacks would have to go at the end. Because they wouldn't be considered uh, I believe of, of pure Arabic stock. That's my opinion. You know. But I think that based on the quotes I've read from their ungodly writings in times past, I think I can back that up. So, uh, the only reason they want to do this is, is, is to be able to bring their forward and firing positions right up to the Israeli border. Uh, Israeli Prime Minister uh, Benjamin Netanyahu said then Thursday during a visit to the Prague, attacks on children cross a red line. Those who carry out such attacks should know that their blood is on their heads. On the other side of the ledger, the new rulers of Egypt are in the process of unraveling Hosni Mubarak's peace relations with Israel. Now, remember what we just talked about here? All these puppet regimes being shut up? All these dominoes falling in the Middle East in order to set up this really radical faction of Islam that are really going to want to go after Israel and really, really bring in World War III? This statement here confirms that the new rulers of Egypt are in the process of unraveling Hosni Mubarak's peace relations with Israel and engaging in rapprochement with Gaza and Damascus centers of the two radical Palestinian organizations. See, they're, what they're trying to do is, is Islam, they're like a bunch of madmen and there's a lot of infighting in different factions. But if you could get the most radical factions all on the same page, you're going to have all the things you need for World War III to happen. So, that's pretty interesting stuff here. Uh, let's go further with this article. This is some, this is some other information uh, that actually came from a different website that confirms what we just talked about. Overshadowed by this attack um, and the ongoing warfare between Hamas terrorists and Israel was another Islamic-inspired massacre of innocents inside a school that saw nearly a dozen children shot to death in cold blood and wounding of 15 others between the ages of 9 and 14 years old. Did you hear about this on the nightly news? No. But I guarantee you, if it was, if it was some uh, Jew from Israel who had done it to Muslims, oh my word, it would be, it would be global, cataclysmic, the world is going to stop spinning, we're all going to, you know, guaranteed, guaranteed that would happen. But no, 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 because it's, it's a Muslim, they're being protected, and they're being protected on purpose. The school was not in Israel, but it was in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. The Islamic Jihad-inspired assailant was a 24-year-old former student uh, at the Tasso de Silveira School who gained admittance to the school by posing as someone who intended to give a motivational talk to the students. Isn't that nice? What, he's like Zig Ziglar or something? Uh, Muslim style? Instead of a motivational talk, the terrorist pulled two handguns and promptly began to slaughter the, the school children. This, again, this is the fruit of Islam. This is what they're supposed to do. He would be viewed in his home country as an absolute total hero. The more little kids he kills, the more of a hero he is looked at. And the more uh, virgins and little uh, 
virgin white boys with white skin he'll have in paradise. And that's one of the things that they promised them. How sickening. And I've went into the whole pedophilic nature of Islam. Much in recent studies. And it it is beyond sick. Uh, Instead of a motivational talk, so he, he... Pull two handguns and probably begin to slaughter the children. Brazil is not unique or a place where Islamic terror of either the Sunni or the Shiite variety should not be seen as uncommon or an exceptional circumstance. All non-Muslims are fair game in this war, no matter where they live or what language they speak. You know, I, I view them a lot like I view the Catholics. Now, I'm going all the way back to the Inquisition of the Catholics. I know the Catholics aren't going around killing people now. But I'm saying, the Catholic religion should have been snuffed out and banned after the Inquisition, or before it ever happened, preferably. I mean, 50 million people they kill, and, they, and they're allowed to go on today with their pedophile priesthood and all the garbage and, and this works-based salvation that all it's doing is taking people to hell, and yet they, have, they come off of having this veneer that we're holier than thou, and we're, we're better than you, and we're the mother church. Why, why is a religion like this allowed to exist? I mean, why doesn't Brazil ban... Islam? How many terrorist attacks have to occur before you... So going back to the article, it says all non-Muslims are fair game in this war no matter where they live or what language they speak. Absolutely. And if you allow enough of them to occupy a country, percentage-wise, this will be more and more and more commonplace. Uh, In fact, the threat of Islamic terror coming out of Brazil, as well as several other South and Central American nations is the subject of the recent Brazilian news magazine, Veja Report. According to the Israeli newspaper Haratz uh, account of the Veja Report, members of the multiple terrorist organizations, including Hamas, Hezbollah, and Al-Qaeda, have been holed up, but still quite active in Brazil, planning to bring their jihad to places other than Brazil, places like Israel, no doubt, and the United States, are firmly within their declarations of jihad. So, yeah, that's just... Now, what I do, I, I, what I did here is I posted uh, the my teachings. Uh, the Double Face of Islam, Israel, Islam, and World War III. Now, some of these are a little bit dated, but a lot of the information is still just as pertinent. Uh, Obama to abandon Israel and the cause of Israel's afflictions. The biblical cause. That's a three-part study I did. Because, I, again, I try to have balance regarding the subject. And uh, I gave you all the links there. That'll be on page six or seven of the PDF that I'll post for uh, April 11th, 2011. And let's go further here. This is a video entitled The Wicked Fruit of Multiculturalism. It's an exclusive video from CBN correspondent Dale Hurd vividly illustrating the cultural clash that is occurring throughout Europe between those who want a want to preserve a constitutional form of government, governance and those who want to replace it with Shahara law. France, Sweden, Denmark, Germany, and the Netherlands and Britain. Today, America, tomorrow. If it can happen here, it can happen there. These are fanatics, and once they have the numbers, they would want to impose their beliefs and religious practices on everybody. Now, what happens is, is they take, particularly in France, they'll take over, they come in there, you know, they come in like a little lamb, and then as they get more and more and more, they'll actually start taking over whole quadrants of cities. And those quadrants become Shahara law-like Islamic zones, where if you go in there, you're literally taking your life in your hands. Now, if you've already had a business in one of these quadrants, 
you either gotta go or live under all kind of Islamic tyranny under the threat of death. So, um, going back to this article, it says they would not hesitate to destroy, kill, or use any foul means in taking over everything not belonging to them by force. If you are not one of them, as you are about to watch, they are a law unto themselves. So I'm going to go ahead and play this. It's a short clip here, and this will also further uh, give you some information confirming what we're talking about here. Dale Hurd has a story from Paris. In the northern district of Paris, a brave shopkeeper named Marie-Nage Sardin guards her little newsstand like a military fort. As a white woman, she is a minority in this mostly Arab-speaking Muslim area. She's been the victim of dozens of crimes. She's been raped, robbed, and had acid thrown at her. She says it's a campaign to get her to leave. But Nez, the daughter of a French soldier, calls her little shop a piece of French soil inside occupied territory. And she says she will not leave. I mean, this woman's had been raped, robbed, had acid thrown on her. Just because she was there first now, okay, but that doesn't matter. I mean, this is what you would expect to happen with Islam when they take over. Now, and again, it'll start with quadrants of, of cities, and then it'll spread and spread and spread, because they have the highest uh, population growth rate, because, you know, they breed. They, they're commanded to have as many babies, essentially, as you know they can, for the sake of Allah, and they're growing their religion that way. Uh, granted, I guess they are recruiting some, but uh, again, who in the right mind would want to be a part of this death cult? I can't bear to tell my future grandchildren that I have done nothing to preserve our French values, so staying here is marking our territory. German Chancellor Angela Merkel now admits that multiculturalism has failed. British Prime Minister David Cameron has said it too. And they were talking specifically about immigrants from the Muslim world. The left's multicultural dream in Europe was to give Islam a special place in society, with no requirement to assimilate. Multiculturalism has encouraged Muslim radicalism and Sharia law. It's See, it always is about not them adapting to our culture. It's always about us adapting to their satanic belief system. That's the only way they'll have it. These, these cult, this death cult should be driven out of every country on the planet that's not, you know, obviously if it's an Islamic country, okay, I'm not saying they don't have a right to exist, but if they're going around bombing, killing, plotting terrorist things, you know, they should not, they should be disbanded. They, these things, this is just unbelievable. I mean, it'd be one thing if they were minding their own business, but they're not. Leading to a new tribalism, with groups organizing along religious and ethnic lines. In cities across Europe, only the police stand in the way of open street warfare between groups. In Paris, in Sweden, in Denmark, and in Britain. France has some 751 no-go zones. The French government labels them sensitive urban zones. But what they are is dangerous to whites and non-Muslims who enter. French 750 places you can't, quadrants of cities and places that you can't go. I mean, that, that's, that's absolute insanity. 
And they've got these high-level leaders there admitting that multiculturalism isn't working, but they're not going to do anything about it. Intellectual It means that it's part of the country where uh, the police don't go, the firemen don't go, and even doctors and the uh, ambulance don't go, uh, except if they have no other choice. And it's like that because these parts of the country are in the hands of drug traffickers, gangs, and imams. Okay, so again, more wonderful fruit of, of Islam. Drug traffickers, gangs, and imams, you know, the radical terrorist elements of, of, of Islam. I mean, and this is what you get. And, and, and again, it's like no other religion that I know of on the planet could get away with this. None. And there, of all religions, I understand all, virtually all religions on the planet are taking people to hell. Okay? And that in and of itself is, is about as horrific thing as you could have. But I don't know of anyone that's, any religion that's, is overtly evil is this one. And given such special privileges and rights, and, you know, where people have to just tiptoe around and, and just, oh my word, you can't, you've got to be politically correct. You, you can't say anything that would possibly offend them. I could care less. I really could. They need to be, they need, the thing is, is the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee. Okay? Are we just supposed to just like do not, and I don't mean going around taking up arms and stuff like that. I'm saying resist them in prayer, resist them in fasting. The effectual, again, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Resist them on your knees and educate other people around you. But don't just lay down and, oh, they're just going to take over and, and I'm just going to do nothing. I just don't think God would have us do that. We're, we're supposed to reprove the unfruitful works of darkness and have no fellowship with them. And there's all these churches now that are yoking up with Islam, this Chrislam movement, where they're literally leasing out space in these 501c3, essentially whorehouses, that they're, they're, they're basically, the Muslims are having their services while the lukewarm apostate Christians are having their service, and they're just one big happy family. When all the time, guaranteed, the Islamic element despises them. And probably would like nothing better than, I mean, at least the radical elements, to actually kill them because they are infidels. It's either convert or be killed. Now, I'm not saying they're all like that, but I'm, I'm saying that if Islam is allowed to play out to its logical conclusion, yes, they will all end up as, I mean, if you're Satan, are you just going to be content with, well, Satan's content with moderate Islam. No, he's never content with that. Somebody that's involved with sin, he's never content with them. Like, let's say somebody's doing a particular sin. Is Satan going to be content with them just staying with that one sin, never getting any worse, never getting any better? If it were Satan, and Satan had control of that person's life, and that is a very good example of Islam, he is not going to want that person just to stay where they're at. Let's say they're, they're a moderate. And I guarantee you another thing. As the more radical elements take over a given society, do you see the moderate, or let's say liberal elements of Islam standing up against them and saying, oh no, you cannot do that. No, they're silent, totally silent. Because they're all going to get in lockstep and get on board with the program. Because they know deep down that they don't want to mess around with the radical elements. And they know deep down that's what the Quran and these other unholy writings tell them to do. In fact, I think a lot of those ones that are that are liberal and, and moderate 
I think a lot of the Islamic factions, if they chose to stay that way in a more radical environment, I think that they would be snuffed out as well. Because there's no, there's no room for that in, in radical Islam. There's no room for moderate or, or, or liberal or whatever. They want a strict interpretation of the Quran, the most radical elements, and that is the element that we're going to see more and more and more of, guaranteed, and all these videos that we're playing and all these articles that I'm talking about just give further proof of that. And that's led to the formation of groups who oppose Islam and want to protect the white native French. The leader of one of those groups, Philippe Vardone of Bloc Identitaire, told me they're training their members in hand-to-hand combat. He sees a dark future. Now, our government, our politics are leading us to war. Bardone complains that the white majority is treated like a minority by the government, marginalized politically and victimized by immigrant crime. So there is in one end the political speech, saying, okay, everything is okay, oh, it's so good to feel the difference, to live together, uh, it's um, communion, it's perfect, and on the other hand, you got the truth of what people are feeling. Uh, they are feeling like if they were uh, themselves foreigners in their own country. France has made some high-profile moves against Islamization, such as outlawing the veil. But in Marseille, we saw Muslim women wearing full burqas in front of French police officers, who did nothing. And we saw Muslims blocking the streets illegally for Friday prayers. Marseille is France's second city, and today is one-quarter Muslim. But there are parts of Marseille, like this area, that are almost completely Muslim. Some of the no-go zones function as micro-states and are governed by or under the influence of Islamic Sharia law. French journalist and author Alex... I mean, what I'm seeing, the pictures of these Islamic... These are some of the most radical, strict sects of Islam. I mean, these women are in full burqas. I mean, all you can see is their eyes. I mean, they're they're like the really... I mean, it's not like, you know, they move the, the moderately liberal... No, no, these are some of the most strictest sects of Muslims within France, you know, and... and so, the, again, this is what you're going to see more and more of, unfortunately. Standard Delval. And yes, we, we, we see our society is splitting and dividing between those who are Muslims, those who are blacks, and those who are white. I asked Delval where he thinks the situation is headed. It's very simple to know it. It's a civil war. It will not be a real civil war like in Spain during Franco you know, in those years. No, it will be a kind of local civil wars. I think one day it will be so unbearable, this situation, that the state will be, will be obliged to send the army. There are today in Europe many victims of multiculturalism, like Marie Neige Sardin. People without political voices. People afraid to leave their homes. Marie told us she could not just surrender. Do we want our daughters to wear veils in the future? Do we want them to live under Sharia law? Do we want stoning to be practiced? No, it is not possible. I want to be the symbol of no, the symbol of stop. Dale Hertz, CDN News, Paris. You might wonder. So they're starting to really get it over there of some of the people in France. They're really starting to see uh, how wicked, how evil this cult is. And if they're left to operate unchecked and to grow unchecked and given all these special privileges and rights and whole quadrants of cities, what the fruit of that is. And it's always 100% pure evil. Um, so that's, uh, 
that's that particular story there. Let's go to the next one. Okay, I just kind of checked there. I, I probably should just wrap up part one here. We'll go to part two next. So we'll see you in part two. God bless you. If you would like to sign up for Scott Johnson's free Christian current events and health newsletters, please email him at drjohnson at ix.netcom.com. That's drjohnson at the letter i, the letter x, dot netcom dot com with the word subscribe in the subject line. Scott Johnson's weekly audios are available for free 24-7 on the internet at contendingfortruth.com. That's C-O-N-T-E-N-D-I-N-G-F-O-R-T-R-U-T-H dot com. Please help us continue this work. To support this ministry, our mailing address is Scott Johnson, 2nd Line, 450 Conover, C-O-N-O-V-R, Boulevard West, number 202, 3rd Line, Conover, North Carolina, 28613. Or on the internet, PayPal can be used at contendingfortruth.com. Thank you, and may the Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you.